Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Tuesday, September 26th. Coming up, after two Jackson County officials were sentenced for wire fraud in 2018, the FBI and U.S. Justice Department said they were running an active investigation. Now one of the officials is back working in Jackson County. Plus, the death of a Kansas woman last month is focusing attention on increasing rates of domestic violence during pregnancy. She was having a boy, and that was going to be her new world. We'll hear why abuse can get worse during pregnancy and why Kansas shelters say violent incidents are on the rise. But first, some headlines. The Jackson County Legislature voted unanimously yesterday to lower its tax rate from 59 to 51 cents per $100 of assessed property value for this year. But that may not mean a lower bill because many property values went up. Legislator Manny Abarca IV says homeowners will actually see a marginal increase in their tax bills. There is a true belief that if their home value increased by 90 percent, their tax bill will increase similarly, and that is not the case. This is just one of more than 80 jurisdictions in Jackson County, including fire departments, libraries, and school districts that need to set new tax levies. Kansas City Public Schools will decide on its new tax rates on Wednesday. A Missouri judge has ruled against Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft's proposed summaries describing six ballot measures that would legalize abortion in the state. The ruling says some of the language in the summaries, such as dangerous, unregulated and unrestricted abortions and the right to life, are problematic. The judge also rewrote the language for the ballot measures. Ashcroft's office says it will appeal today's decision. The lawsuit was brought by the ACLU of Missouri. If passed, the ballot measures would guarantee abortion and other reproductive rights in the Missouri Constitution. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly says Medicaid expansion will be her top priority again next legislative session. The Democrat has been touring the state to push for expansion before the session starts in January. She says expanded health care coverage for low-income Kansans would create thousands of jobs. Those are our taxpayer dollars that should be coming back here so that we can spend it on our citizens, on our hospitals, our communities. Republican leaders plan to fight the proposal, saying it's too costly and gives benefits to people who choose not to work. Kansas is one of 10 states that have not expanded Medicaid. Kelly has promised to expand Medicaid since her campaign for governor five years ago. We'll be back after this. of Jackson County's top officials were sentenced to prison for misusing campaign funds five years ago. County Executive Mike Sanders got more than two years prison time. His aide, Calvin Williford, got only six months for the same crime, apparently because he was helping out with a federal investigation into other Jackson County politicians. So whatever happened to that investigation? KCUR reporter Sam Zeff told Carlos Moreno what he found. 
Remind us of why Sanders and Williford were sent to federal prison. So both of them pleaded guilty to one count of wire fraud. Mike Sanders was a major political player, not only in Jackson County politics, but Missouri politics. Calvin Williford was his longtime chief of staff. According to the government, they would take money out of Sanders' campaign accounts. Needs to be stressed here that the money that was pilfered was not taxpayer money, but money from Sanders' campaign finance accounts. Still Mm -hmm. illegal, but not taxpayer money. They would use that money, according to the government, for lavish travel. They went to Las Vegas. Sanders stocked a wine cellar. They would also use the money for political dirty tricks. They both pleaded guilty to one count of wire fraud. That's why they went to federal prison. And there was a lot of courtroom drama the day that Williford was sentenced. Tell me about that. The day that Calvin Williford was sentenced, everybody knew he was going to prison. Most people suspected that he was cooperating with the government. The government that day, they were adamant but opaque about an ongoing federal investigation. There was a target, the government said, and it spanned a couple of jurisdictions. We didn't know who the target was. We didn't know what jurisdictions. So for five years, the sentencing documents around Calvin Williford were sealed. This is highly unusual in criminal cases. Mm -hmm. So for five years, it sat there. Sanders went to prison for 27 months. He got out. Calvin Williford went to prison for six months. He got out. Yet these sentencing memos remained sealed. We didn't know what the government investigation was. We did know, though, that nobody else had been indicted. So KCUR filed a motion to unseal those documents. There was a little bit of a court fight. There was a pushback from both Williford and the government. But in the end, we got those sentencing memos and the downward departure memo unsealed, although with redactions. So five years later, what do we know? We still don't know very much. Five years later, the government had redacted enormous sections of these sentencing memos. Uh, We argued against that. The government said that they still wanted to protect cooperating witnesses uh, and that there was an integrity of the investigation to maintain. The judge agreed with that and let uh, big portions of both the sentencing memo both Williford's sentencing memo and the government's sentencing memo to be uh, to be redacted. There was a downward departure, of course. Calvin Williford, as a cooperating witness, had his sentence drastically reduced. That was another point we made. There was a great disparity between how long Mike Sanders went to prison and how long Calvin Williford went to prison. Mike Sanders went to federal prison for 27 months. Calvin Williford went to Leavenworth for six months. That six months reflected his cooperation with the government. Still, the government refuses to let go of any information about who was being investigated and for what. All right, Sam, thank you. Carlos, one other note. After leaving prison, Williford worked briefly for Moore Squared. That's a social justice group in Kansas City. But now he's back in the Jackson County Courthouse working at the county legislature. He's officially the legislative aide for legislator Donna Payton, but he also acts as an advisor to the legislature chair, Jerron McGee. He told KCUR it felt like returning to a place that had a lot of bad memories and had a sense of this is where I made all those stupid decisions. But he says now, after spending time in prison, he's better prepared forever to work in government.
homicide is a leading cause of maternal mortality in Kansas and nationally. And a Wichita woman's death last month is a high-profile example. It comes as the state's domestic violence shelters are filling up at the same time that extra pandemic aid is ending. Rose Conlin of the Kansas News Service reports. Dawn Wilson says she thought her husband might stop abusing her when she got pregnant. And, you know, for me, it was like, oh, now that I'm pregnant, things will get better. But no, it seemed like it got worse. For years, she kept it a secret. She was living on a military base, and she was embarrassed. They were having a child together, and she wasn't planning on leaving. The only people that really knew was those that were stationed with me at the time and saw the abuse firsthand, saw the military police reports, you know, being six months pregnant and being drugged down the hallway. They eventually divorced, but the emotions came rushing back late last month when her goddaughter, Zayla Bronson, died from apparent domestic violence. Prosecutors say her boyfriend strangled her. She was 16 weeks pregnant. She was having a boy, and that was going to be her new world. The 19-year-old had moved from Leavenworth to Wichita for college. Wilson says her goddaughter loved children. She wanted to be a math teacher. Just that compassionate, that smile, that happy, that vibrant, that sunshine, that ray of sunshine, Zayla. Bronson's death is forcing a public reckoning with domestic violence as a leading cause of maternal mortality. Homicide kills more pregnant and postpartum Americans than any single pregnancy complication. Michelle McCormick, who directs the Kansas Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence, says sometimes abusers feel threatened by their partner's pregnancy. They have an expectation that they're not only in control, but that their needs come first. And when you think about kind of the dynamics of pregnancy, of course that shifts. Being pregnant makes anyone more likely to experience intimate partner violence. But Maeve Wallace, an epidemiologist at Tulane University, says black moms, teenagers, and those living in homes with guns are most at risk. Her research found a sharp increase in pregnancy-associated homicides during the pandemic. And to my mind, a lot of that has to do with a worsening of the conditions that we know to be sort of root causes of violence. So there was a lot of economic turmoil unemployment, income inequality, food insecurity. Kansas data shows total domestic violence incidents have remained relatively consistent over the past three decades, but homicides are ticking up, and shelters across the state say this year has been particularly intense. So this is our playground back here. The Wichita Family Crisis Center moved into a new building earlier this year and tripled its capacity. But Executive Director Amanda Myers says it's still not enough. We are full of women who have just had babies, who come in pregnant and and go and have a baby and come back to our shelter. It's a very dangerous time. And And the threat of more serious physical harm, it seems to be higher when the person is pregnant. The rising demand comes as shelter directors say they're facing a fiscal cliff. Cuts to regular federal funding, plus the end of pandemic aid. The state has added some extra money to help bridge the gap, but shelters remain stretched thin. Myers says one growing problem is a shortage of affordable housing. That discourages people from leaving their abusers and makes it harder for them to find permanent homes. She wants to see more energy go toward longer-term violence prevention strategies. We're so used to in this community just putting a band-aid on the situation. After the crisis has occurred, that it's hard to get the conversation and funding for really addressing the problem at its inception. 
That could look like putting more resources into expanding access to mental health care or youth outreach programs to intervene in generational cycles of violence. Experts say it's also important for healthcare providers to screen pregnant and postpartum women for intimate partner violence during medical visits and help connect victims with resources. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Rose Conlin in Wichita. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is 800-799-7233. KCUR's Kansas News Service reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. Find more at ksnewsservice.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Paris Norval and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Sam's story on Jackson County corruption and Rose's story on domestic violence in Kansas, visit kcur.org, where you can find more news from around the region from Kansas City's NPR station. If you like our show and want to support us, you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast app to help us reach new listeners. Thanks for listening and I'll see you tomorrow. Thank mm-hmm. you.